Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. pray for us as we get going today. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of the day. We thank you for the gift of time and space to worship you, to hear a word from you, God, to still our busy lives. Speak to us, God, as we have need today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are continuing today our uh, summer series, summer sermon series called Poured Out, where we are looking at the book of Acts, and and over the course of the summer, we're going to go from the first chapter to the last chapter, but not cover every single chapter, but we will span the whole book, tracing the Holy Spirit's movement in Acts. And and what do we learn for our lives, for the church today, for this church, uh, about how we follow the Spirit, the ministry and the mission we should be a part of, based on what we learn from this earliest book of the church, this earliest uh, story of Acts. And, and within this overall series of summer, we're kind of have three smaller series, three mini-series, if you will. And we just kind of completed one on the church where we talked about Pentecost and we talked about kind of the ideal church in Acts 2 and then, and then the temptations and the challenges churches face, which we talked about last week looking at Acts 6. We're starting a series for the next few weeks where we're going to look at, at one person in Acts each week. So we're going to do these profiles. Uh, today is Philip. Next week will be Saul, who becomes Paul. And, and seeing about the Spirit's surprising movement. Uh, we, we have a few, two key things that are kind of our thesis for the whole summer. So we're trying to memorize these, get these into our heart, get these onto our mind. As we imagine who the church is and how God might move through the church, these are the things that we need to know. That once the Spirit came at Pentecost, which we talked about a few weeks ago, it was more powerful than anyone imagined. It was more powerful than anyone imagined, and it was on the move. And and so the Spirit wasn't lazy. The Spirit wasn't waiting around. The Spirit wasn't waiting on humans to, to do something. No, the Spirit was out on the move. So powerful and on the move. And it was immediately beyond human control, and working in surprising ways. So from the beginning, the Spirit comes, and it's powerful, and it's on the move, and and we don't control it. It's not waiting on us. No, it is working in surprising ways out in the world, and the Holy Spirit is begging us, beckoning us to follow the Spirit around this world. And, And all that we can do, like the early apostles, is to listen for where we think the Spirit's moving, watch where we sense the Spirit may be moving, and do our best to try to follow as God leads us. And so that's kind of the whole like overarching thing we're looking at this summer. So today for this, the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the surprising nature of the Spirit's movement, how the Spirit kind of has a tendency throughout history to use, do surprising things, to use surprising people in often very surprising 
ways. And Philip is our illustration of this today. So we're going to be in Acts 8 for the most part. We start off in 6, but we're going to be mostly in Acts 8. If you want to kind of follow along with a story, make sure I tell it right. Philip first shows up in Acts 6. We talked about this text just very, very briefly last week. They have we talked about over several weeks how they were pooling their resources together. People were giving to the church, selling property and giving it to the church, to the apostles, so that the needs of the people might be met. And one of those needs, evidently, were, were widows who didn't have enough to eat. Now, again, the church is a diverse group, this early group. Some of them are Jewish. Some of them are, are non-Jewish, which at different points in the Bible might be referred to as Greek or, or Hellenized or Gentiles, kind of all words in different ways for those who were not Jewish. And they bring a problem in Acts 6, the church does, to the apostles and say, hey, listen, we've got unequal distribution here. The, the Jewish widows are getting a little bit more than the Hellenized, than the Greek widows, the non-Jewish widows. What are we going to do about this? And the apostles say, listen, we can't take away time from preaching and sharing the gospel and working miracles and all of that. Why don't you, church? So we have the first uh, committee formed in church life. It's such a Baptist story. We joked about last week. It says, choose among you seven people, seven men who are full of the spirit of good repute and full of the spirit and wisdom. And the first one mentioned is Stephen, and his story is in Acts 6, 6 and 7. And then the second one mentioned is Philip, who is who we're studying to today. And so we're going to go through surprise after surprise. This is a little fast forward here, how the Spirit often works. One step following Jesus leads to any number of other things, <laughs> And sometimes leads to great surprises, unexpected events, unexpected encounters, unexpected shifts in our life as we follow the Spirit. Surprise sometimes builds on surprise as we give our yes to Jesus. So somehow, this non-Jewish Greek man, or at least with a Greek name, comes to know Jesus. We don't really know the story of this. We don't know if he was in when Jesus was alive. We don't know if he's a convert at Pentecost or sometime afterward. But by the time we get to Acts 6, he is, he is well known. He is a man of good repute, a man known to be wise and full of the spirit and is the second name given of those seven. Well, something happens that's pretty rough in Acts 7. Stephen, the first one mentioned, goes out and is preaching and doing many of the same miracles the apostles and Jesus had done because the Spirit is active in his life. And this is not Stephen's story, so I'm going to fast forward through it. Stephen is the first Christian martyr, which means the first follower of Christ who is killed for his faith because of his faith. I guess you could say Jesus is, but in the name of Jesus. Stephen is stoned. Saul, who we'll talk about last week, who becomes Paul, is holding the coats for those that are throwing the stones at him. And the beginning of chapter 8 says that Saul is ravaging the church. Saul and probably others like him start in the area around Jerusalem a great persecution of the church. This fire that was started at Pentecost, Saul and his compatriots are wanting to put out. Y'all, but what happens when you kick a fire? Have you ever kicked a fire? You ever been, you know, I don't know, one of those evenings where you kick a fire? I don't know why I kick a fire. Maybe you've seen it done. 
It doesn't put it out, particularly in South Texas right now. <laughs> it spreads, right? It spreads. They kick the fire of this church in persecution, wanting to kick it, pick the two, snuff it out. What happens is these believers scatter around Samaria, around Judea, eventually up into Galilee and beyond, and they begin to tell the story of Jesus. And instead of putting the fire out, the fire spreads around the empire. Philip finds himself in Samaria. Do you remember Samaria? We talked about it a couple months ago. I won't quiz you on this. We discuss, when we discuss Jesus and the woman at the well, Samaria is north of Jerusalem, Samaritans and the people of Samaria would have had great enmity with the people of Jerusalem. They were enemies, for lack of a better word. They were rivals. The Samaritans believed in God, but they thought they had the inside track. They thought they were the pure people of God. And those in Jerusalem who worshiped in Jerusalem had, had kind of a false version of it, basically. And of course, those in Jerusalem thought they had the inside track with God, and the Samaritans had a false version of it or a secondary version of it. And there was great enmity between them. Jesus in, in Matthew 5.10 even tells the disciples, or excuse me, 10.5, when he sends them out, don't go to cities of Samaria, even though Jesus eventually will do just that. Peter finds him, so excuse me, Philip, this unlikely convert, finds himself in an unlikely place. This man, probably very new to faith, finds himself in Samaria the deacon, the, the Greek convert to Judaism in this way of Jesus, and he begins preaching. He begins sharing the gospel and telling the story of Jesus as he knew to do. And people heard and people believed and people followed. And again, I think to the surprise of Philip, maybe, maybe not by this point, Philip begins to do the things that Jesus did and those apostles did. The same spirit is at work. People are, are, are paralyzed and unable to walk and he lays hands on them and they walk. People have unclean spirits and he lays hands on them and, the, and speaks a word and the unclean spirits flee from him. We're even told in this interesting kind of little extra passage, we're not going to go into deeply today, there's a man named Simon the Magician who is a powerful magician. What exactly that means, we don't know. Probably illusions, but probably it may be a practice of, of dark magic of some kind. Who knows? And he, he, But he was a man of reputation, a man of standing and respect among the people for what the signs he had done. And he hears Philip speak, and Philip speaks with such power, and his signs have such power. Even Simon the magician comes over to the way of Jesus. And Amazing things happen, surprisingly, through Philip. The Spirit then comes. Your, your versions, depending on what version of Scripture you have, will read this differently. But it tells Peter, or excuse me, Philip, to go south. Kind of like when he called Abraham and just said, go. He does give him a direction, says, travel south toward the road between Jerusalem and in Gaza, or down from Jerusalem. Now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, which I haven't, but I read enough to know, any which direction you leave Jerusalem, 
you go down from Jerusalem. Any which way you travel to Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the center of where God was thought to reside. So they don't really go down as in south, like I go down to Kennedy, down to Floresville, south of here. It's not a directional thing. This is west. There's this 50 or so mile road west out of Jerusalem, Jerusalem that ends in Gaza on the coast. And it's a fairly deserted, desolate place. There's not a lot there. So the Spirit of God has taken Philip to Samaria. And now the Spirit of God comes and says, go to this very deserted 50-mile stretch of road and doesn't really say anything else. Sometimes this is how the Holy Spirit works. Philip travels. We wonder if this happens immediately. We wonder if he wandered around a little bit until he found her. But he finds this, here's this person in a chariot reading the scroll of Isaiah. Now we find that this man, we're told that this man was, was an Ethiopian eunuch who was a court official in charge of the whole treasury for Queen Candace. He was her secretary of the treasury, a member of the cabinet who had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this man is a person of much intrigue in the New Testament. Much is made about, about who he is and, and, and what he is. I was sitting in my daughter's fourth grade Sunday school class last year, and I was not teaching in the church that we were a part of in Waco. I was kind of, the, for that week, like the, the room dad, essentially. Keep everybody in control. I was a bouncer. Anybody got out of problems, I was going to escort them out the door. You know, those things. Fourth grade Sunday school can happen. And our teacher that day was a friend of ours named Molly, and she had this passage with fourth graders, okay? So um, if you don't know what a eunuch is, I'll explain very quickly. A eunuch is a male who's been castrated for one reason or another. And we'll stop there. And, um, and so they read the verse, verse by verse, around the class. Everybody read a verse, and they mispronounced eunuch every single time. So you know they have no idea what this is. And so Molly, in all of her infinite wisdom, as soon as they stop reading the text, says, okay, does anyone have any questions? And you said, no, Molly, no, don't do that. And one little girl shoots her hand up immediately. And, uh, and Molly says, Landry, okay, great, what's your question? And you go, all right, here it comes, here it comes. And she goes, what were the uh, primary cultural differences between Ethiopians and Jews during this period? Can you tell? Not the question we expected, you know, not the question we expected. You never know what you're going to get in the children's wing. You know, much is made about this man being a eunuch. Whatever exactly that was, this metaphorical, was it physical? People disagree about this. It would have made him... He came to Jerusalem to worship, but this status that may have been a status of many court officials, perhaps, it would have put him on the outside looking in of worship. Whatever, he, he's seeking God in some way, whether he was something called a God-fearer of one from the outside that, that had appreciation from God but had not really taken steps toward conversion, whether he was a proselyte, one that had taken some steps toward conversion to Jewish faith, we don't know, or, or something else entirely, but he's somewhere in between a, sort of a full Gentile and someone who is Jewish. But this status would have put him on the outside looking in. And then we're told that he's Ethiopian, which is not Ethiopia then, was not a country. It was kind of a general term given for those with very dark skin, with black skin. 
And so he would obviously have been from a different place. And then you add to this, this high court official. This is a man of wealth. This is a man of importance. This is a member of the cabinet traveling to another country. And he's, uh, he's reading a scroll of Isaiah, which would have been expensive and hard to find. And he's reading it while he travels. You know, this is, so, so he's treating it somewhat casually, not like the one true. So this is an interesting person made very different, of different skin, of different ethnicity, of vastly different culture, a high up in this other land in the court of Candace. The word may be exotic. And here's what I think Luke is doing. You know, right before this, the Jewish leaders who for centuries and centuries had been, this is who God moves through. These largely men, largely Jewish, largely in Jerusalem, God worked through them and God moved through them. And it was through them that the word of God went out. It was through them that the nations were going to be blessed. And what do they do with it? They stone Stephen. They miss it. You see sometimes the tragedy of missing the gospel. And then here we have, in the next passage, this man who is a eunuch, who is from Ethiopia, who is dark-skinned, somewhere from Africa, who is a high court official, who probably grew up under another religion. He is as far as can be from who God has been moving in for a long time. But there's something new at work, and this guy gets it. There is no inch of creation where the Holy Spirit is not on the move. And there is no soul in creation that the Holy Spirit cannot reach. This man is reading Isaiah. Stephen or Philip walks up, says, do you understand what you are reading? What a great question. What a great question to start a conversation. Do you understand what you are reading and he says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he invites Philip up to ride with him. And he says, who is this prophet talking about? They're reading there in, in verse 8. I'll read it for us. He said, he was reading this passage. He said, like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And he says, is he talking about, is the prophet talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? I mean, again, what a great jumping off point. And so Philip doesn't use the pre-packaged program for evangelism. He, he doesn't quote a whole bunch of other verses. He starts right here with him. He starts with what he's reading in that moment. And from that verse, begins to talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And they're traveling down the road as he's explaining. And at some point in that journey, evidently he comes to faith and they, they pass a body of water again, which would not have been a real common thing on the road. Was it a, was it a, a pond? Was it a, a well? Was it a place to water animals? I mean, we don't, a, a creek of some sort, we don't know. And he says, what hinders me, Philip, from being baptized? And we wonder what was going on through Philip's mind at that point. Because the long-term answer to that question 
is lots of things prevent him from being baptized in the old way. He, he wasn't Jewish. He, he hadn't gone through the right rituals. They're not in the temple. Philip is not a priest. This man is a eunuch of some sort. This man is a whole other people far away. We don't know if he's got right belief, right practice. We don't know anything about him. Many things could prevent him from being baptized in the old way. And yet the Spirit of God is now here. And the Spirit of God can reach every soul. And P P Philip says, nothing. And they go down and they're baptized. Now, was it all the way immersed like we did here today in our very warm water? Was it sprinkled? I don't know and I don't care. It doesn't matter. He was baptized. And, and kind of interestingly, both men basically disappear from the story. We want to know more, but, but the Ethiopian goes on along his way, and, and Philip is kind of whisked away by the Spirit uh, to Azotus, about 20-something miles north, which used to be kind of a stronghold of the Philistines. And he goes there and shares the gospel on up the coast until he gets into Galilee. We see Philip again in, in Acts 21. Uh, Paul, or yeah, Paul is in Caesarea, and he stays at the house of Philip the Evangelist, who has four daughters who are unmarried but have the gift of prophecy. Arrhenius, writing in 180 AD, will say that this man, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, went back to the lands of Ethiopia, meaning Africa, and preached the word of God, and there's still an Ethiopian Orthodox church, one of the oldest lasting churches in the world to this day. Fascinating that the first Gentile convert mentioned by name is a man as surprising as can be, as different as can be from the pedigree of the apostles. The Spirit is beyond our control and working in surprising ways among surprising people. I mean, might we just for a little bit count up the surprises in this passage? All right, let's build surprise on surprise here, and we're going to conclude very quickly. Just the surprises. This Greek non-Jewish man comes to accept Jesus as the Son of God. And almost very soon, it had to be very soon, is recognized for the Spirit's movement in his life and is chosen to be a servant of the church to deal with the distribution of food. Surprise, 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 persecution comes and scatters the church. And again, surprise, instead of destroying the church, the flame of the church started at Pentecost, begins burning in different locations, and this Greek man called, elected by the church to serve bread, figures out he can preach. And he starts telling the story of who Jesus is, and surprise, people listen, and surprise, people are healed, and, and people walk, and demons are exercised. And then he's told by the Spirit of God to wander south for a while, and he does. And maybe the biggest surprise of the passage, in the middle of the desert, on a 50-mile road, that he's not even walking the road. He's walking perpendicular to the road. He happens to intersect a man as surprising as can be, an Ethiopian eunuch, 
Gentile court official who's in Jerusalem to work reading the word of God and has questions about it. Some coincidences are too grand not to be orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever found yourself in one of those situations where you say, we can call it whatever we want, but this is just too wild not to have the hand of God in it somewhere. And he shares the gospel and he baptizes the Ethiopian and the Ethiopian continue. Philip whisked away, continues to preach. I'll conclude very simply and relatively quickly. You know me enough to know relatively is the word there. (laughs) There is no inch of creation where the Spirit of God is not at work. And there is no soul in creation that the Spirit of God cannot reach. Which means, friends, when we dare to say yes to the Spirit of God, when we dare to step out in faith and and listen for the Spirit's movement in the world and watch where the Spirit of God may be at work in the world and do our best to follow, you never know where it might lead. But if you do dare to step out, you better be ready for a surprising ride. Anybody remember the Rattler when it first came out, the original Rattler at Fiesta, Texas. Few of you in my general age group that might have done that. I thought this would play better than it did at Mulberry. We'll see if that is true or not. (laughs) This is what, early 90s, somewhere in there it came out, and it was the tallest wooden roller coaster in the world. They had to take it down because too many people were having back and neck problems, which for like a junior high kid made it awesome. Like it was so much fun because we were still bendy. Um, And you would get on the Rattler. And it was, you know, it goes up and your anticipation, the expectation builds. And you know the first drop was like most roller coasters. You've got to get your momentum going. So it's just killer. That first drop was just amazing. And you're ready to scream. Like you're ready to go nuts. And then it just goes, it has a little trick. Whoop! Like it was just a little dip. So you like get your scream out and right when you recover, then just the bottom falls out. And it was amazing. Now I'd throw up. It would not work well. I'd have to, you know, take Dramamine before. It's a whole thing, right? But then the rest of the ride, you're, you're breaking lefts and you're breaking right and you're up and you're down and you're going through dark tunnels and you come out and you feel like you're upside down and it finally screeches to a halt. And you either say, oh my God, I'm never doing that again or let's do it again. Like I'm, how, you know, how quickly can we do it again? I mean, the kingdom of God is something like that, perhaps not quite the speed, but there's expectation and there's twists and there's turns and there's things in your life that take you to the left and take you to the right. And there's dark tunnels where you don't know where it's going to come out. And sometimes you come out going straight up and sometimes you come out going straight down. And sometimes it ends and you look back and you say, I can't believe the ride went that direction. And to dare to follow the Spirit is to be forced to grow, forced to learn, to be flexible, to adjust our expectations and our preconceptions of how God moves and where God moves and in whom God may move. 
When you say yes to the Spirit, be ready to be surprised. Be ready for healthy disruption of your life, but disruption all the same. You know, it's not, when you say yes to the Spirit, I mean, who knows where that initial yes, that initial yes to faith, that initial yes to step out in some way, who knows where that, how that will ripple out in the kingdom of God across your life and the lives of those you encounter. And think about when you first accepted Christ. Think about the people that have blessed your life, that said yes to something that you were receiving. These ripples continue to go out in the kingdom. Y'all, it's not my job to tell you or dictate to you how and where the Spirit is moving. It's for me to equip and commission you to watch and to listen and to say yes. And where do you see the Spirit of God moving? I mean, in your family in your life, in the neighborhood where you live, the church where you worship, the city, the world? Where is God leading you to be involved in his kingdom work? What yes are you being called to give? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you call us. We thank you that your spirit is beyond us and on the move and all we have to do is listen and watch and join. It disrupts us and it surprises us. But God, it is a fun ride. Help us to be flexible. Help our spirits to be pliable, moldable by you as you teach us where you are at work. enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.